We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Basketball season is well and truly here. It's starting earlier and earlier every year, Sean, as we continue to discuss on the podcast. It's uh, I was at a, a convention this week over in the UK and lots of talk about basketball drafting over there. And I was at the Expo in Canton last year. A question was raised at a basketball panel, how many or who, who here has played basketball? And you know, maybe 25% of the room put up their hand. At, at the one this week when, when I did the basketball panel, there was maybe four people in the, in the entire room hadn't done it. So... We can see that's mainly DraftKings expanding into the UK over on that side of things. But at this time of year, to have that many people in the UK wanting to draft best ball drafts is certainly impressive. And it shows, I think, the, the growth of the game, uh, both globally and, of course, in the US. But Underdog really heating things up with their contest offerings throughout the year. We obviously have the FFPC with their fantastic offerings as well. We play across pretty much all of the, the options available to get in on some of that action. But Looking at ways to win is obviously a key part of, of trying to win those contests. And Sean is well known for some of his contrarian thoughts throughout the year. Sean, maybe some of those contrarian thoughts now becoming a little bit more or less contrarian, I think, as we move 10 years beyond the uh, Zero RB articles. But the Twitter handle is still there, although it is not being used. But today, Sean, we're going to look at one of your recent pieces that went up over the holiday weekend in the US, July 3rd. This one went up on rotaviz.com. Looking at potential ways to get a little bit contrarian in basketball but checking through the evidence of whether it is something that could turn your team into a tournament champion or will it make your roster crash and burn we're going to be looking at second year quarterbacks and, and how that potential leap may be able to you know ca- catapult your teams to success on that side of things you did some very interesting conversations last week with ben gretz when you looked at some of the rookie options that have come into the league and how that might affect the offenses. So I'm looking forward to, to looking at historical information here and then what it might mean for 2022. On the other side of things, myself and Sean haven't done an actual podcast recording in, in quite a while as, as I was traveling both to Toronto and London, as I mentioned. So it's been a busy couple of weeks, but great to be back here, I guess, talking to Sean again after a kind of a two-week gap. So looking forward to sharing this information with the listeners today. How are you feeling, Sean, after our... I, we can't really say hey it is because the podcasts continue to come out for everyone to listen to and uh 
but but we haven't had a chance to talk so hope things are going good with you yeah colin was so good on the scheduling side that we did have content but yeah you are back you were doing some serious globe trotting colin how was the vacation how was the trip to london what did you think of your little stint over here in the u.s sean i just uh you know geography was never my strong point at uh you know school and now i've come back from canada my understanding is that canada is not part of america are we correct here i feel like sometimes i see people clips of you know people from america talking about europe and i uh you know i'm like how do they know that like anything about europe but am i completely wrong here no no um as you mentioned there canada would not be would not want to be included in the it's not US. like an additional I, state or anything no no not for a variety of not reasons. yet <laughs> exactly not yet no i so how was your trip to north america Colin? You, you messaged me about niagara falls obviously you can get there from either country i tend to think of it from the u.s side but yeah you had a a fun trip to canada and, and saw the sights yeah no it was absolutely awesome we were there for 10 days really action-packed fitted a, a huge amount in we were there obviously we had our, our daughter who's five there so there's all, all, always that kind of balance of how to get everything in but we got the niagara falls and we went obviously from as you mentioned the canadian side and the part for me again very interesting like you know the bridge that separates the border kind of goes over the river at the niagara falls so a huge uh kind of bucket list item checked off with you know kind of one one of the wonders that you can see in in the world so amazing city we were based in toronto for that entire time so absolutely loved it i know we have some australian listeners i, I spent some time in melbourne um, when i was younger and um, i would see a lot of similarities between those two cities in terms of the city layout and structure and the the way that their kind of um transport system and things work so i, I thought it was it was right up there with anywhere that i've ever been sean so the trip was was definitely worth the time and you asked about uh the london part of things Obviously, we did a live Scott Fishbowl, which was an absolute blast. Got to meet a lot of people again, even though we're closer on this side that I, I've never got to meet in person. So an absolutely awesome experience. And you, in your draft, went with a Lamar Jackson, TJ Hawkinson start. Pretty happy with that. I am. Uh, I mentioned to you before, I was hoping maybe the Travis Kelsey would last that one more selection. He went at the fourth pick, which just kind of seems to be the way things are going with the, the tight end extra kind of pre additional premium points for the Scott Fish Bowl this year, but started off that way and got, got Hawkinson in the second round, which I, I thought was nice. I did get sniped a few times. I was very tempted, uh, very hopeful of maybe getting Pets as another elite tight end option to try and you know make the team a little bit more unique, but went, uh, I'm sure some people may have seen this on Twitter, but I uh, kind of I would say a zero RB build, especially for the way the Scott Fish Bowl settings are set up. So uh, I think it was a fun team. We talk about having fun, Sean. It is a charity contest, one of our favorite contests to uh, play in with you know so many analysts, so many people from around the fantasy football community. And uh, yeah, Scott's done a, an amazing job there. We want to thank him again for letting us give away one entry to that. We wish that contestants good luck. We've had actually the, the people who have won entries in True OT have had quite a good run over the last couple of years sean getting into kind of semi-finals finals and so on so let's hope that trend continues this year but yeah fun time sean your draft is only starting because i got the live draft experience i only have two picks left at this particular point in time sean has one pick made sean the 101 went to sean who did you go with well i went ahead and took justin jefferson just because it's fun to take justin jefferson <laughs> 
the Scott Fish Bowl is probably the format where wide receiver is the most underpowered, and yet you could argue that's going to make Jefferson separate from the rest of the position even more. Mostly, I did it just for fun. However, as you mentioned, we're in so many of these leagues, and when you get a chance to play one for charity and for fun, you go ahead and do that. We'll see how it works out. One of the things that we've talked a lot about in the Superflex best ball formats is that obviously you need to start with an elite QB if you have that option. You know, Obviously, I did. But then when you don't, there are some really cool teams that you can build. I've been chatting a little bit with Connor O'Driscoll about some of the Superflex rosters that he has. It's a lot of fun. We encourage people to, to play those formats. So get in there. We'll have a lot more FFPC Superflex best ball content. But Colin, as you were talking about best ball and as you were talking about how we can try and turn some contrarian plays into options that give us a shot at winning tournaments, we've been doing a lot of work on the quarterback position at Rotoviz this offseason. When you think about these big tournaments, quarterback becomes extremely important. One of the things I discussed at the beginning of this article is sort of the transition that we've made through the last decade and how it's been really interesting where at the very beginning of it, and certainly if you go back into you know, that 2008, 2009 time period, chatted a little bit with Thomas about this in the remember the game episode where he, he and I talked about chiefs Colts 2003, where the Dick Vermeil juggernaut falls to Peyton Manning in one of his greatest seasons but how you kind of have this evolution from elite quarterback where you have a handful of guys who are really scoring and you need to get on those points to then the rise of late round qb to where i mean i went through this time period i always kind of joke about this high stakes team that i drafted where i actually took my first quarterback after i had selected a kicker and so you know that late round qb is very much a part of things when you're taking a kicker first now we're back into this very different dynamic where quarterbacks are extremely relevant. And I think that one of the real pushes to get that across came from Mike Beers and his best ball tools, where you can see that window QB is very much the preferred play. And when you go out of window QB, you're giving up a lot in terms of win rate. But then you have another move beyond that, where now we have rushing qbs and we have a handful of teams with elite passing qbs where they're going to lean into the analytics a little bit and say some of these situations where teams have run in the past and they tend to be run downs or run game environments because you have the lead in the second half what have you but you still actually want to pass in those situations especially if you have a patrick mahomes for example and so now we have even a little bit more of a spread. Some of the guardrails that we had where a Peyton Manning, looking back to some of those great Peyton Manning seasons, I mean, he had one of his greatest years ever and didn't even throw the ball 500 times, right? You think about what he would have done if he gets to 550, if he gets to 575, if they're throwing in these situations where you lead late. On the flip side of that, in the past, we've also had very favorable garbage time that creates additional points for especially some guys like a Jameis Winston for example somebody who actually does have a good arm but makes a lot of turnovers he can balance that out by throwing for a lot in garbage time 
Well, we have teams like the Atlanta Falcons, like the Chicago Bears, where even when you are losing late, you decide to lean into what you do best. You're going to try and minimize the overall scoring gaps. Yeah, I mean, you're going to more or less tank and just point to the next season. And so for that reason, we get this potentially larger spread. And as a result, the elite QBs pull away. So, I mean, it's a combination of things, but obviously the, the hybrid element for some of the top quarterbacks is going to be really the kicker there. So now, Colin, we're in this environment where Michael Dubner has a great piece on elite QB and why you might want to pursue elite QBs in underdog formats. Blair Andrews just dropped an article talking about how window QB is still probably alive and well, discussing a few of the trends from the last couple of seasons that have knocked that down. Last year, we had a lot of injuries within the window, and we expect that to still be successful. But Colin, in this piece today, I kind of go through some of the weaknesses or trade-offs that we get when we select a quarterback early and when we select QBs, at least in 2023 in the window, why we might be a little bit more skeptical of window this season and then propose a third path. Yeah, and you mentioned there, there is just a lot that has changed in baseball, not just from the, the contests that are available or even in fantasy football from those days that you talked about versus where we're moving now and then where quarterback ADP seems to have settled. I think at this point we may be able to say, you know, that it, it has changed a little bit over the last month or two, but pretty much still in, in similar ranges. And then the number of things that you can look to target and, you mentioned in this piece, you know, the things that we're looking for at quarterback are the elite offenses, then potentially into the benefit from hybrid quarterbacks with the added rushing value, but then also finding the breakouts. And I think that's the part, I think, again, when we look at some of the contrarian elements is being comfortable with what may not be comfortable to a lot of drafters at the time. And that leads into some of these players who maybe as a rookie, things didn't work out. Maybe they didn't have the opportunities that they wanted maybe it was a case that the offense didn't go in the direction you mentioned the falcons there we might be touching on that again as we go through today's show but trying to find those breakouts and the reasons usually that they haven't fully broke out in that year one is that things didn't go according to plan there is also the possibility that they did have a good rookie season and then you're looking for that extended second year breakout something that we've seen from blair andrews over the years talking about the the quarterback position and the improvement from year one to year two so when we look through it, Sean, I guess, do we want to look first from the historical aspect of how this has affected potential players in the past? Or do we want to look at the potential options and how to find these breakouts for 2023? Yeah, so if we start with the history, that gives us a little bit of a foundation for why we would be looking at this. And so I'm pulling up the FFPC Classic Explorer. We use the Classic format to give us a few more years. We go back to 2017. And I'm looking at rookie results, second year results, and third year results. We know that that third year is the next most likely year for a quarterback breakout. And really the only year where we have significant breakouts other than that second year. And the dynamics are interesting because you not only have the scoring, but you have the price. And so when we look at win rates for both rookies and third-year players, they're just below average. So 8.2 and 8.1. The ADP for these quarterbacks as rookies, and again, we're looking at the classic, but you can kind of work through and you can certainly look up 
ADPs for the other quarterbacks in some other formats. But the classic is going to push him down a little bit because you have the kicker and the defense element. But the rookie ADP, 226, right? Third year ADP, 90. And so a huge difference in how much the QBs cost through that time period. because of those breakouts that have happened already, obviously. Right. So you're going to get the second year guys who have broken out are going to really push that up. One of the things that I've done here is I've removed quarterbacks who basically don't play at all. We're looking at the guys who are fantasy relevant for those seasons. So we're not factoring in some players like Paxton Lynch or Josh Rosen after he's no longer in the mix to start. We're looking at guys who are projected to be the starters on their teams here. The interesting thing, though, is that even when you include, and I also kind of show it without Trey Lance for people who are interested, but even when you include Lance, who gets injured in week two and is a very negative contributor to this second year dynamic, you have an average win rate of 10.4% for the second year guys. Again, just a massive gap between them and first and third, but also a massive gap between that win rate and the average win rate. What we see there is the ADP for the second year players, 122. So even with the kind of mix of results that you get from rookies, they do jump up quite a bit, but then there's a further jump to year three. The scoring level for those two groups, pretty similar, where second year players, 291, third year players, 298. So even though you enter year two with a lot of uncertainty in many cases, and one of the things that I do point out is that those averages – and those win rates include a bunch of guys who did not break out, right? So you have Baker Mayfield, Dwayne Haskins, Zach Wilson, obviously Trey Lance. But even with those, the thing that we have happened in year two is that we have massive breakouts, right? And so you get huge wins from guys like Mahomes, Jackson. Herbert had had an excellent rookie year, but he takes it up a notch in year two. Trevor Lawrence, Burrow, Fields. Even guys like Jerry Goff and Carson Wentz, who you might not remember quite as favorably in year two, actually did really well. And then even down to players like Mitchell Trubisky and Sam Darnold, those two guys combined for 10 QB1 finishes during their sophomore campaigns. And again, in best ball, I mean, those numbers will really play for you. So when you look at that and you look at how the second year quarterbacks were able to do all of this damage, it really does come from a lot of guys having breakout seasons. When we compare the really high-level results for all three time periods, we find that first- and third-year players combine for only four seasons with double-digit win rates in that time. The second-year guys combine for nine seasons with double-digit win rates. And so that year, too, when the, a lot of the players are still – inexpensive but historically they've taken this jump and it's something where Blair's original analysis stretches back before this time period so one of the questions I had for this piece and for this exercise was did the trend that Blair found as being very strong when he looked at this in 2019 did this continue through 19 20 21 22 is it giving us league winners that then put us in position to have teams that would be tournament winners column it's really encouraging when you look through the past. Now that doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily get those guys in 2023, right? It could be that 2023 is a bust season for those players, but just like we look at that wide receiver position and we say, 
this is an area where the players have a really wide range of outcomes. And as long as you get a reasonable price, now some of the year two guys, I mean, if you're drafting a Garrett Wilson or a Chris Olave, those guys have to hit because they're being drafted as though they're full blown stars. Now they were so good as rookies that I think that you could justify that. But when we're looking at some of the rest of the players, as long as you're not overpaying for a Christian Watson, for a Jahan Dotson, for a George Pickens, for a Jamison Williams, those players have historically been very, very interesting. We know that they get more expensive through time as more drafters understand the value of number one, the fact that guys who are good in college, they tend to break out. You don't have to worry as much about their rookie production as maybe you've had to worry, or just maybe people have worried in the past. But then number two, the value of drafting players with a lot of uncertainty, if there are strong evidence-based reasons to believe the talent is there, that has been very successful. So Colin, as we're trying to translate that to the QB position, I think especially now that QB values have tightened and there's a little bit less that's exploitable with ADP across those first 15, 16, 17 QBs that, I mean, traditionally you've needed to have some kind of a plan with those guys to make it work. We want to make sure we're at least considering that environment and the breakout environment for quarterbacks. Although again, we have to contrast it with what history tells us in some other ways, which is that late round QBs have been extremely unsuccessful. Yeah. So that is part of it is that they, they have been unsuccessful, but part of it as well at this point, when we're looking at as well, like, you know, for 2023 is the price of particularly the elite quarterbacks, but then with the elite quarterbacks getting pushed up, that is also kind of moving up the entire quarterback window. And some of the guys who, you know, when we looked at, running backs in the past we felt we're going two to three rounds ahead of where they should be we're seeing that with some quarterback options this year and the advantage is that if you're taking players at other positions in that range and the whole reason you would be waiting on quarterback is to take those other players at other positions and then the cost of then acquiring some of these guys particularly when we're looking at the targets that we're looking for in that kind of second year cohort of quarterbacks the price isn't going to be that expensive to what the potential for those to outgain that a couple of things sean in this piece, you did split it out as well by hybrid and pass oriented kind of, you know, as we would traditionally have called pocket passers, but guys now with more mobility than the traditional pocket passers, but not quite your Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson. When we look at that, there isn't a huge difference in those guys in terms of what they've done. Kind of the one that really broke the mold was Kyler Murray as a rusher, uh, giving him that upside for the 316 points. Daniel Jones with 259 also kind of standing out for that hybrid cohort but when and what then, you're referring to right here are the rookie season so the question yeah, yeah. that i wanted to ask was maybe rookies have underperformed but there's still a way to find exploitable subgroups within that what we see here is that again at least historically that hasn't been the case yeah yeah so uh, thanks for clarifying that so then again i'm not we're not talking specifically on this about the rookies but then that's interesting based on the price maybe for let's say Anthony Richardson this year coming in as the hybrid quarterback as a rookie but when we look into then what has happened for the second year campaigns we're looking at players who have then can you know had that breakout that has really and truly exceeded you know the ADP that they're drafted at and that was something that I think something that people think about a lot is will this player achieve his ADP is he you know going to finish as a eighth round adp but the players that then really truly smash your league and have the success is the players who you know are drafted 
in that mid to late range you're then just you know finishing those top 12 top eight quarterbacks that really just supercharge your roster and push it right over the edge in these best ball formats so when you look sean then into the the second year guys and just to kind of go back through some of the names that have really broke out for example i was talking to a lot of people this weekend at that best ball car the fantasy football conference about best ball and talking about people's expectation of perception and the likes off of trevor lawrence last year who if you drafted trevor lawrence last year he is somebody who really broke that mold even the likes of a jared goff or a carson wentz in their second season so who are some of the the players that really stand out when you look back through these kind of past seven or eight years yeah so if you look at the guys with those nine seasons where we get double digit win rates you get mahomes in 2017 where his adp is kept in check by not playing as a rookie he goes out and scores a huge number of points over 450 and wins at over 23 percent we're not going to have too many seasons like that but you do see the influence of it as then we go down through as well where lamar jackson over 20 percent win rate another situation there where I mean, today, both of those guys would probably start, you would argue, and yet, I mean, we're not that far removed from the season there for Patrick Mahomes. So, actually, it's the rookie year 2017, the next year 2018, where he goes off. I've got these guys listed by the rookie year, so you can see when they came into the league and then how they make that jump. You get a very solid season from Carson Wentz that goes at almost 13%. Joe Burrow makes the leap 380 approximate points there wins at almost 13 percent it's easy to forget because jerry goff finished so poorly with the rams that the initial results when sean McVay came in and brought receivers like cooper cup and robert woods and sammy Watkins, that he goes off wins at 12.3 percent herbert takes that massive jump again in year two that probably put too much pressure on him for this past year where it's just difficult again for those pass oriented qbs to maintain that level of scoring but even though he had one of the earliest adps his adp in that season was 69 overall he puts up enough points to generate a 12 percent win rate justin fields last year even with the atrocious first month goes for an 11% win rate. You just mentioned Trevor Lawrence. He goes just below 11%. And then we talked about Mitchell Trubisky, who, again, a little better than people realize, gets up there in the 300-point range and did it in a season where his ADP was 150. And so especially if we're looking for seasons that could be vaguely similar to what Carson Wentz did, vaguely similar to what Mitchell Trubisky did, I mean, I think you could make an argument that we've got guys who have a Jared Goff level of talent in this class. And so, Colin, that kind of takes us to the next portion of this, which is to look at the weapons these players are surrounded by. And we won't go into the great detail on it on the show, but one of the things that was really shocking was that regardless of how good the quarterback turned out to be, his early career production tracked very closely with how strong the weapons were. And so you have guys like Watson, Mahomes, Herbert, Burrow, who break out more or less instantly. And those guys are surrounded by stars. You've got some players with mediocre weapons like a Wentz, a Murray, a Zach Wilson. Those guys are a little bit more determined by their own talent. 
Kyler Murray able to overcome it. But when we look at the guys with poor weapons, you have players who in their rookie seasons, I mean, Jared Goff had nothing around him, Trubisky, nothing, Darnold, nothing, Josh Allen, nothing, Lamar Jackson, very, very little, Daniel Jones, nothing. I mean, Daniel Jones has been working with Darius Slayton, basically, as his wide receiver one. Dwayne Haskins, very little. Tua, nothing to start. And then over the subsequent two seasons, they add Jalen Waddle, they add Tyreek Hill. Suddenly, you've got a very different situation there. Mac Jones, not very much. Justin Fields, not very much. That part is interesting, and I kind of go through that all three groups, but certainly the third group, not only talking about who they started with, but then who the team added. And when the quarterback fully launched and how in so many cases that corresponded. So we're not saying that the weapons are going to determine the quarterback, but they clearly help. And I mean, that's not any kind of groundbreaking conclusion. That's very intuitive. But in best ball, we have a couple of different elements there. One of the reasons that drafters like to make some of these correlated bets is just a big picture approach to it where if the quarterback has a good season it makes it easier for the wide receivers to have good seasons if the quarterback stays healthy and that was one of the things i kind of go through at the beginning of the article is how qb health has determined and qb health on other teams as well because it's not just scoring in a vacuum it's scoring relative to what other types of scoring are available in your league that year but if the QB stays healthy, it's going to help the wide receivers. And so you're kind of thinking, well, I'm going to draft some receivers around this QB because if he stays healthy, it'll be a rising tides, lifts all boats kind of situation. But also if the receivers are there, it's going to wash back on the quarterback and he's going to have a chance to play better. But then you obviously have that secondary element as well, where the game stacks in the tournament portion, when you're thinking about week 15, 16, 17, those things are very important also. So when you have quarterbacks who are surrounded by multiple plus weapons not only does it help them but it gives you these tactical advantages so we look at the guys for 2023 who are breakout options and we have eight players you can also include jordan love if you want he's not in the first three years but he's getting his first chance to start and you have the great weapon group with pickett purdy ritter and Howell. the mediocre weapon group with richardson jones and love and the poor weapon group with young and strout and so one of the reasons that we've been avoiding Young and Stroud is that you have the rookie dynamic where especially rookies who aren't going to run, that's been tough to score in a way that wins in the past, but then they also have poor weapons. Does that mean that they can't do it, that it's impossible? No. I mean, every year you have individual players that break historical trends and do damage in leagues. Ben Gretchen and I, as you mentioned at the beginning, did a show recently talking about the rookie signal callers kind of where they are where their teams are what the projections look like what the scenarios are for these passers and their teams that was a really interesting exercise to kind of think through and i mean we like bryce young we like cj stroud in a vacuum those are very talented players maybe it works out for them it's a little bit harder to see where the ceiling would really be i mean they're gonna have to be unbelievable which Players come out and are unbelievable, and that's a lot of fun when they are. But you look at the other guys, and the problem that we run to here, Colin, is that in that great weapons group, three of the four guys were not first-round picks. And the entire exercise that the article is based on focuses on first-round picks. So then, obviously, you've got a problem because you're comparing apples and oranges. 
So then I go through a little bit and look at some of these guys who had won the job, who weren't first-round picks, but had won the job going into year two, and there just aren't that many. So there aren't a lot of conclusions to draw. You're more just trying to get a little bit of a feel. And so when you're talking about Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, I mean, those guys were established stars. Does that really give you too much information? Davis Mills, someone who basically the Texans were not a real NFL franchise at that time. That doesn't give you much information. Gardner Minshew, Jalen Hurts, a little bit more interesting there. We know about Hurts. If you think about Gardner Minshew, it's interesting because he was actually putting up big numbers when he got hurt in week five, and then they eventually figured out he was hurt. And after week seven, he does get put on the bench. Any of the four guys who seem like even vaguely real comps, if you got their points, you'd be very happy. But again, I don't know that we can just take those guys and say, okay, the players from this season are going to score. But Colin, one of the reasons we're looking at Brock Purdy, we're looking at Sam Howell, we're looking at Desmond Ritter, is that there are interesting elements to their own games. I mean, Purdy was a fantastic player last year as a late-round rookie. Can he build on that? I mean, the question with Purdy and the thing holding his ADP down is the injury and how quickly he's back to 100% this season. Sam Howell, somebody we thought should have been drafted a lot earlier, but a huge range of outcomes for him. He could play poorly in camp and never start a game. He could play poorly in week one, two, or three and get benched. And so with Howell, more than really scoring profile, I think you're worried about the immense benching risk there. And then for Desmond Ritter, it seems like less benching risk, but also less upside. He played last season. His EP, we're thinking about sort of a, an FFPC perspective, would be in that 18.4 range where if you get that type of volume from him, you're going to be fine. And yet he underperformed it in a big way last season. So we kind of work through that. We think about what those guys are able to do and this year and it's exciting you want to build some teams with them but then i finish out the piece by pointing out that when you draft your first quarterback after round 11 for 2017 to 2022 in this ffpc format that we're using just kind of to give us a, a broad benchmark because we have a lot of seasons in there just barely above six percent which we know will, will not, not get the job deal. done. <laughs> not only are you getting a really low win rate, but you're getting a low incidence of extremely high scoring teams. So we want to balance the different pieces of evidence that we have when we're thinking about how we would play these cheap potential breakout QBs. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and before we get into maybe final thoughts, Sean, I did want to mention the article itself. I will link to it in today's show notes, but there is so much detail in it. Sean mentioned, you know, the, the weapons part of it. I thought that was one of the most interesting parts i know there's the obviously the rest the entire article sean is very interesting but when we look at what they had when they came in as a rookie and what the changes were for example joe burrow and there's a lot of this that's unlucky for burrow in terms of he had a serious injury missed a big part of that season but that also helped them get a high draft pick which ended up being jamar chase which then <laughs> launched him completely in that second season but there's little bits and pieces like that but some teams then didn't really change a lot but they were some of the guys who, you know, like a Patrick Mahomes, who has turned out to just be one one of the best quarterbacks of all time when he is finished. But it's interesting to see, you know, even the poor weapons and, and what players were able to achieve with those guys. So lots of great information. I would highly recommend people read the entire article to get the, the full breakdown. I know Sean's covered a lot of it as we've talked through it today. But you mentioned the likes of Purdy, Howell, and Ritter. The, the part when we get to the weapons element of it is, those guys now, and people may not fully agree with Howell, but there's a very, very interesting pieces for him on that offense. But the likes of Ritter, that offense, while it hasn't done anything really as of yet, if you look at the players that they have on the offensive side of the ball at running back, tight end, and wide receiver, you know they have a lot of high draft capital invested in those positions, which you know he, he may not hit, but they and the coaching may not be exactly what we want, but he has the the players around him i think to be able to help make that happen party finds himself in the situation in san francisco with just a huge amount of talent around him so i think you know what what are you thinking when we look at the guys obviously that are being compared to potential hurts like options this year it's gonna be hard to hit that that hurts level but you're looking at players like party howell and ritter but those guys also when we look at the comps for what players had around them from a talent perspective th- those guys have superb options on those offenses as well to help as you mentioned kind of raise all ships and the other part outside of the the aspect there with the 49ers you look at um, the falcons for example and washington both teams where it is possible to build those stacks on those rosters versus the cost of building them with some of the elite quarterbacks very hard to pair those together with their preferred past options where with those second year guys potential to do that there is and i mean you went through a little bit on the falcons and the commanders there the 49ers probably have the most talented offense in the nfl and it gives you more shots to build those guys in now with all the buzz around brandon Ayuk, the 49ers guys it's kind of a weird combination where they're discounted and yet they're still tricky because they're still in that range where you're going to have hard choices. You look at the early rounds in 2023 and you get such great values on running backs that it, it just creates an entirely different calculation than anything that we've seen in the past. One of the reasons why you could mix in that elite QB, one of the reasons why we've always focused on elite tight end is that running backs were so structurally overvalued that there was really no point where you're trying to create 
any type of running back depth or maybe even running back exposure at all. So if you end up zero RB, you're fine with that. If you end up anchor RB, you're fine with that. All of the evidence would suggest that once you go beyond that, you start to decrease your chances to win. Now, there have been some different time periods where a double anchor would have worked. And one of the things that I talk about in terms of going through one of the recent drafts I did with Pete, for example, and in terms of talking about the draft that we'll be releasing the Ben and I did for this week, in 2021, you had double anchor running back generate a very nice win rate in underdog. And so it's interesting that we're so wide receiver heavy now, but we know that you wanted the elite tight end. We know that when you add additional running backs, your chances to win and your ability to create this really elite team suffer. And so the lack of immediacy or urgency at the running back position give you so many other options. Well, in 2023, the urgency is really around running back because you see these guys who have the really high EP profile, that potential double-digit rush EP, the double-digit receive EP. Obviously, our buddy Patrick Corain has done a ton of great research on it, looking at it from a slightly different perspective than EP, but talking about the legendary profile. When you get guys like that in rounds two, round three, and you can add multiple players to your build at times where the wide receivers just simply aren't appealing at all because they've been pushed up so much. You have to do that. Well, now you're like, where do I get that elite tight end? Because I do have to still draft wide receivers. Where do I get that elite QB? Because I still do have to draft wide receivers. It's not that you're going to eliminate those guys from builds. You're not going to go completely from one thing in the past to a different thing now, but you're going to have a mix of builds. And one of the things you just have to consider this year is if there's a way to address quarterback a little bit less expensively it seems like we're getting the perfect opportunity with the specific guys who were there the adps that they have the weapons who surround them i don't think that you want to go 100 percent on that you may not want to go 50 percent on that but you do want to mix some of those teams in specifically for what we've been talking about and what you just mentioned there with the 49ers guys, but also what you get with the commanders, what you get with the Falcons where, and is Drake London overvalued? I mean, he probably is. Is Kyle Pitts still a little bit of a tricky play? He probably is. Is Jahan Dotson risky at the point you have to take him to help build out that 49ers commanders game stack? Yes. But as long as you're doing it in a way that does create benefits for you that has a little bit of safety build in you're not reaching for Dotson in every single draft I mean, you want to keep from a, a situation where you get locked in on just a couple of guys and you start to have terrible adp value on those specific players on all of your teams as long as you stay away from that then you can just create so much in the way of correlated upside with these players that if it hits it's not just going to be good for you. It's going to be really, really good. Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting, especially with the Falcons, and I know we last year we punched the coaching situation a lot, and it's going to be similar this year, but if that offense takes a step in the right direction from a play-calling perspective, you're looking at guys who are also in their second or third season or rookie season with their running back, for example. You mentioned Dotson. We have him. 
if if those wide receivers take that leap forward too that's gonna again another reason to pull up that entire ship and you're looking at that with the young player rather than maybe if they're paired with a, a bunch of veterans and i know there is some young or young players as well say in carolina but there's a lot of a very different situation when that that rookie quarterback is paired with the veteran options but i think sean we will leave it there but the one thing that as you mentioned going back through what players are going to be available at that point and how your team will finish up with that structure based on what you do in those rounds i want to give a plug for the podcast that came out in the middle of last week that one was the kind of drafting back to front or that kind of approach to strategy that we talked through got a lot of positive feedback on that so i would recommend if anyone hasn't checked that out to head back and listen to it i think i titled it something sean like this strategy will change your life or something like you know very very i was like what know, is won't, this won't uh, this episode actually about it's like i know it's going to change my life but could be which, which one did, did colin title that yeah so, so that, 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 that is the, the reverse engineering your lineup the reverse draft because reverse engineering really a little bit different but reverse drafting back to front column i love it yeah so uh, check that one out but that is going to do it for this edition of the show make sure you are subscribed if you aren't already drop us a written and review if you're watching this on youtube drop us a comment let us know your thoughts we are looking forward to bringing you much more content as we head towards the nfl season and sean that will be here before we know it we're into july at this point already so time flying by looking forward to bringing that content for our audience so until we are back with another show. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Martin. My co-host, as always, is Sean Siegel. Check out his work, including the piece linked in today's show notes on rotaviz.com. And until we are back, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.